For nearly two decades, Chris Hedges was a foreign correspondent for the New York Times and other publications. Mr. Hedges was, in fact, part of a team at the Times which won the 2002 Pulitzer Prize for coverage of global terrorism. Chris Hedges began as a freelance correspondent from Latin America during the dictatorships in Argentina and Chile. He has covered war in El Salvador and later the Balkans, before becoming New York Times Mideast Bureau Chief. We first read what he had to say from an interview in Christina Borgeson's Feet to the Fire, and have since quoted from his essays on America's Holy Warriors and his 2004 essay, The Christian Right and the Rise of American Fascism. Chris Hedges is a minister's son, a graduate of the Harvard Divinity School, and author of three previous books on religion and war. Currently, he's a senior fellow at the Nation Institute and teaches in the program for American Studies at Princeton University. His current book expands upon that 2004 essay. It's titled, American Fascists, the Christian Right and the War in America. It is a review of the cultural battleground which has been raging for decades and outlines in clear language what the Christian Right's goals are for America and why we need to fight back. He's been on our short list of desired guests for some time. We're pleased to have him join us today. Chris Hedges, welcome to Radio Parallax. Thank you. The juxtaposition of the term fascists with American is no doubt jarring to many people. Can you start by defining how that term we associate with Hitler and Mussolini uh, indeed applies to many in the Christian right in this country? Well, you're right. It has historical connotations. Uh, it's a word that's probably been thrown around a little too loosely. But I, I think when you look generically at what it is that makes up the Christian right, what it is they believe, uh, and you uh, place that against the belief systems of traditional fascist movements, um, many things square up. And I actually begin the book by quoting a small uh, section uh, written by Umberto Eco in his own book, Five Moral Pieces, called Eternal Fascism, looking 14 Ways of Looking at a Black Shirt, in which he describes what he thinks are the 14 most important characteristics of a fascist movement, which, of course, can exist in any democratic society. So this is a book that really tries to make the case that uh, rather than a religious movement, the radical Christian right in this country is a mass political movement uh, that bears within it the seeds of a religious fascism and has many characteristics of classical fascist movements. Well, you start out early in the book with a quote from uh, Joseph Goebbels, the information minister of the German Nazi Party, which I'd like to, to quote at this point. You noted that he wrote, The best propaganda is that which works invisibly, penetrates the whole of life without the public having any knowledge of the propagandistic initiative. Can we talk about some of the language we hear used by the Christian right and how it might perhaps be decoded to explain how this is really is something that is the best propaganda because it's sort of invisible? Well, that is exactly uh, how they do communicate. It, it, it is in code, and they're very effective uh, at that. They cannibalize language, as all totalitarian movements do. You know, they take terms like liberty and twist, twist it inside out so that it has a kind of newspeak quality, which Orwell would have understood. Um, you know, liber we all ha you know, have a, a pretty sort of general notion of what liberty means, but liberty in this movement comes to mean liberty that uh, comes when one submits completely to Jesus Christ, and of course uh, that by implication is the by those who claim to speak for Christ, by those who submit to those church figures who, who run this movement. Um, you know, that, that of course is not a form of liberty, it's, it's a form of slavery, and, and the movement is shot through. So they're able to speak in the comforting language of traditional Christianity and American patriotism. Uh, but they've hollowed out the words to mean something else. 
Well, American Fascists appears to spring from your 2004 essay, which, which I'd found at theocracywatch.com. The website there noted that no major publication would print the article at that time. Did this sort of force your expansion into a book form? Yes. A, a variation of that article was published in Harper's, but it didn't bear much resemblance to it. You know, many, many people are uncomfortable going on the assault against this movement. Uh, I think that they give this movement a religious legitimacy that it shouldn't have. And I think because I come out of a church tradition, I mean, not only did I graduate from seminary, but I grew up in the church. My father was a Presbyterian minister. Part of my writing, and certainly part of this book, comes from the anger at, at a tradition that formed me, shaped me, nurtured me, and that I value deeply at being sort of manipulated and used you know, in, in very nefarious and dark ways. I mean, this, this movement speaks about acculturating American society uh, with the Christian religion, but in fact what they've done is acculturate the Christian religion with the worst aspects of American capitalism and American imperialism. And, and I think for those of us who value the church tradition uh, and, and inform our lives through our faith, this movement is an anathema. I mean, not least of which is because it calls in the end for the achievement of secular power. Well, you use the term dominionists to define those elements of fundamentalist Christians whose worldview is cause for worry. Who are the dominionists? Well, dominionism, and, and you're, you're really right to pick up on that term, because these are not traditional fundamentalists. They're not traditional evangelicals. I mean, traditional fundamentalists called on believers to remove themselves from the contaminants of secular society, to shun political involvement. Traditional evangelicals, people like Billy Graham, always warned followers about getting too close to political power. He himself came to Richard Nixon's defense during the Watergate scandal, something for which he has always uh, you know, expressed a great deal of regret. This is a new movement. This is a, a radical mutation. Uh, this calls for the creation of a Christian state, a Christian America. Now, they, we use terms like evangelical or fundamentalist to describe them, but they're, they're something we've not seen on the American landscape. Although we've had many religious revivals going all the way back to the Second Great Awakening of 1740, we've never seen anything like this. Uh, and these dominionists have fused the language and iconography of American Christianity with the language and iconography of American nationalism. Uh, and I covered conflicts such as the former Yugoslavia, uh, where that kind of fusion leads to a very toxic and dangerous and intolerant uh, political system. Well, the Christian right seems obsessed with the Bible's alleged prophecies in the Book of Revelations. You are a Divinity School graduate. Can you talk a little bit about this very strange part of the New Testament and how its already rather bizarre passages have been further altered into something like the left-behind bestsellers? All totalitarian movements, certainly fascist movements, embrace this notion of catastrophic violence as a way to purge or cleanse the earth and create the utopia, whether it's the thousand-year Reich or fraternité, égalité, liberté, or the second coming of Jesus Christ or a worker's paradise. I mean, that, that's what totalitarian movements do. And so uh, that embrace, that, uh, and, that, and then the, the pornographic sort of depictions of violence that are very much part of this movement, um, you know, at once thrill and, and terrify believers. The Left Behind series is a fascinating phenomenon. It has, of course, no biblical legitimacy at all. The word rapture never appears in the Bible. Most of the major constructs in this whole strange, violent eschatology is, are not biblically based. 
at all. Um, you know, they're just creation after creation, fiction after fiction. But by sort of cobbling together some of the most uh, questionable passages of the Bible, both from the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel, they have managed to kind of give a sacred authority to this frightening drive uh, to, you know, perpetuate this notion that it that we are headed very soon towards the end of history in which, you know, all non-believers along with the earth will be eradicated and, and believers will be lifted up into heaven naked in this bizarre spiritual Darwinism. What this really is an expression of is a theology of despair, a notion that nothing in this world is worth saving and that the greatest and most glorious moment in human history will come with the world's destruction. And when that is what you believe, then global warming doesn't matter, wars in the Middle East don't matter, terrible poverty and, and loss of jobs don't matter. I mean, in essence, the worse it gets, the closer you get to Armageddon and the better it is. Well, can we talk about that in regards to this sort of a subplot to our war in Iraq? Um, we see a lot of enthusiasm for war uh, for those who think this is going to hasten the second coming of Christ. Former GOP strategist Kevin Phillips thinks that this element of political support has really been overlooked and, and in fact, highly significant to the support for the war before it began and, and now. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think this maximalist foreign policy comes that the Bush administration has adopted comes right out of the Christian right. Um, the fact that, you know, this administration doesn't, in essence, engage in diplomacy. It speaks to the rest of the world almost exclusively in the language of violence. This administration has done nothing to restrain the hand of Israel, the, the, the situation between the Palestinians and the Israelis is the worst it has been in, in decades. I mean, I think probably one could argue since the inception of the conflict began with the, with the uh, creation of the uh, Jewish state. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the Christian right, uh, which provides a, a radical and important uh, segment of this administration's base, uh, fervently embraces very childlike and simplistic vision uh, that I think is translated into many of the actions of the administration itself, certainly with regards to how we view Islam. I mean, the, the kind of demonization of Islam and, and Muslim culture and, uh, you know, the things that are said now within mainstream society about Muslims uh, are, are patently racist. I say that as someone, as an Arabic speaker and someone who spent seven years in the Middle East. I mean, I don't think it could be said about any other ethnic group in this country. We're speaking with author Chris Hedges about his book, American Fascists. I want to quote from page 23 um, from your book. You noted the Bush administration has steadily diverted billions of dollars of taxpayer money from secular and government social service organizations to faith-based organizations bankrolling churches and organizations that seek to dismantle American democracy and create a theocratic state. Can you talk about that? Yeah, that's, you know, one of the most frightening things this administration has done, is take taxpayer funds to empower groups that discriminate on the basis of belief and sexual orientation, peddle pseudoscience, and proselytize, attempt to, to, to recruit people to their into their network and, and uh, indoctrinate people with their ideology. Uh, this has been a tremendous empowerment for these groups, and, and one that I think, you know, is, is pretty clearly anti-constitutional, uh, certainly anti-democratic. 
while this administration uh, I don't think can be characterized as theocratic or fascist, it's certainly uh, gone a long way to uh, drawing uh, groups that really have as their goal the destruction of our open society or empowering groups that have the goal of destroying our open society. Well, your book doesn't delve directly into election politics so much, but a couple things struck me when I was reading it about our most recent presidential elections. First off, how in the 2000 election, Al Gore was accused by the Republican right wing of trying to steal the election by judicial fiat. You've noted that radical groups often project their actions onto what they say others are doing, and that Florida 2000 certainly seems to be perhaps an example of that. Yeah, that, that's something Richard Hofstetter understood in his essay, The Paranoid Politics of, or The Paranoid Style of American Politics. Um, you know, for instance, you know, when, when they talk about uh, creationism, which they have, you know, managed to sort of infiltrate this pseudoscience into our, some of our public school systems, they say, well, you know, evolution is an ideology peddled by scientists who are secular humanists, who, who are, are, you know, are perverting science because they're uh, subscribed to the ideology of secular humanism. Well, of course, that's exactly what they do. They, they pervert science. They've created creationist pseudoscience uh, that purports to use scientific method and, of course, is awash in scientific jargon to prove scientifically uh, that the Earth was created in six days and that the dinosaurs lived uh, at the same time as human beings. So oftentimes what they accuse those outside the movement of doing expose their own motives and because I think they're, they're very conscious that um, they must present a facade, that they can only sort of go so far at the moment uh, in their drive to uh, recreate a society that is ruled by ideology as, as opposed to in a society that honors and promotes dispassionate and honest intellectual and scientific inquiry. I can't help but interject at this moment uh, quite a laugh I got out of your book in describing the Creationist Museum where they were talking about dinosaurs being taken on Noah's Ark and how, yes, the Tyrannosaurus Rex did have those big teeth, but he could have used those to munch on watermelon and cantaloupe. When you get down to the details, it exposes the absolute absurdity of the belief system. I mean, I was at a seminar where they were teaching Christian teachers how to tell their students about creation, and and they had to get through that difficult question of the fact that God created light on the first day and the sun on the fourth day, and the instructor was telling the teachers, well, what God did is he created a temporary light. Well, there's nothing in Genesis that even hints that God created a temporary light. Um, But they have to sort of bridge those absurdities together to propel their belief system forward. And the Creation Museum in Kentucky, this $25 million monstrosity with animatronic dinosaurs, is a perfect example of that, where dinosaurs didn't eat human beings in the Garden of Eden because they were plant eaters and everybody got along. So why did T-Rex have big teeth? Well, you know, so he could crack open coconuts. I mean, it is, it is, I think when one sort of narrows down what it is they're trying to shove down their, their throats, it's absurdist. Well, you've noted there's two institutions the Christian right does not criticize, the, the police and the military, and that in certain groups like these mercenary contractors we're seeing in, in, in Iraq or even on the streets of New Orleans, there's this disturbing element of a, of a private militia 
under some sort of Christian authoritarian leadership. Can you talk about America's holy warriors a little bit? Yeah, that's a really important point, because, you know, all of these movements cannot come to power unless they build close alliances within the military and law enforcement, and, and the movement is working very hard to do that. Uh, they control about 50% of the chaplaincies in the armed forces and the service academies. Uh, they are carrying out uh, direct efforts, groups like Christian Embassy, to proselytize within the Pentagon, holding prayer breakfast. They have a promotional video that was taken off the website when it got exposed, but it had generals in uniform talking about how God advises them and you know as they work on the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And we have the rise of this mercenary army in Iraq, groups like Blackwater. Blackwater is headed by Eric Prince, one of the charter members of the radical Christian right. He he sees this mercenary army as an extension of the U.S. military. Um, and what happened when Hurricane Katrina struck, as you mentioned, these guys with their black uniforms, wraparound sunglasses, SUVs, and automatic weapons appeared on the streets of New Orleans. And I think that um, that, for me, was a very frightening moment, because should we enter a period of instability or chaos, or should we suffer another catastrophic terrorist attack, the deployment of mercenary forces, essentially outside the law, run by ideologues like Eric Prince that are directly tied to the Christian right, um, really uh, presages perhaps one of the most dangerous moments in, in our democratic history. Well, you warn an American fascist about how extending unlimited tolerance towards those who themselves are intolerant, and of course Germany in the 30s provides a great example of how a minority might suppress a majority after first asking for such unlimited tolerance. How do we in America hold in check those whose real goal is to limit our rights when they call for tolerance? Well, you know, tolerance is, of course, what makes a democratic society function, the mutual respect, the the belief that there are other ways to be, uh, other forms of faith that have as much legitimacy as our own. Uh, this is a movement that doesn't accept that, and it has locked tens of millions of people, uh, many of whom come from the margins of society, into closed hermetic systems uh, where they, everything, all information, news, entertainment, health and beauty tips, everything gets filtered through this ideological prism, this belief that um, that there are forces of Satan uh, hidden, you know, whether it's within the ACLU or the mainstream media or the major universities, uh, that uh, are out to destroy a Christian America. And these forces must either be eradicated or converted. There are no other options. And when you preach or you're allowed to disseminate uh, this kind of binary worldview, good and evil, us and them, uh, you know, that there is only one legitimate way to be, then you, you come close to preaching civil war. And unfortunately, this message is not challenged. These people locked within these closed information systems, which are extended into Christian schools and colleges, are essentially not hearing uh, other voices and being told that all other voices in the society are demonic and should not be heeded, listened to, or given respect. Um, at that point, I think a democratic society has to step in and prevent the demonization of whole segments of the society by a radical movement. I, I saw that in the former Yugoslavia. This is essentially what Slobodan Milosevic did. And the, you know, in that democratic opening before the war, 
they kept trying to domesticate Milosevic, bring him into the political process. And of course, it didn't work. He, he, he poisoned the civil discourse. And, and that's what these people are doing here. Well, having seen this in, in Serbia, in the Middle East, a uh, mixture of civil war, fanaticism, religion, um, what agenda or agendas do you think the, the American Christian right is advocating that we need to dig our heels in to stop, first and foremost? Well, there are many. I mean, the school voucher system is dangerous, the assault on gays and lesbians. I mean, you know, the assault on gays and lesbians is really an attempt to strip American citizens of their civil rights based on their sexual orientation. Uh, but, you know, once they finish with these people who they classify as social deviants, they have a long list of social deviants that they'll go after. And you're legitimating tactics that we don't want to legitimate in a democratic state. Um, you know, they, they will turn on women, they will turn on scholars, they will turn on artists. And this, you know, by the way, is a very common tactic on the part of totalitarian movements. The first decree that Hitler passed when he took power in January of 1933 was banning all homosexual meeting places. One of the first book burnings was in the Berlin Institute for Sexual Science. And of course, he was cheered on by most of the German public and the German churches. He used that notion of purifying the society, of family values to promote um, his very dark agenda. And I think this movement is doing the same. Hate crimes legislation, I think, would help. I mean, I would go to events and they would say horrible things about gays and lesbians and then say, you know, but if I said this in Canada, I'd be arrested and everyone in the room would laugh. But I think ultimately the engine of this movement is personal and economic despair. It is the fact that we have shunted aside tens of millions of Americans in this society. Um, you know, we have, we have uh, uh, less manufacturing jobs in this country than at any time since the Industrial Revolution. These jobs that have been shipped overseas have not been replaced uh, by jobs that provide, you know, a viable and decent income. Many people are working at wages at two-thirds less than what they got, you know, in steel mills a couple decades earlier. Uh, there's no hope of, of, of getting a job comparable to what they had had. They're working without benefits. They're working without job security. Uh, state and federal assistance programs have been slashed. Communities are crumbling. Schools are dysfunctional. You know, communities are disintegrating. And, of course, all the attendant ills that come with that are, have infected their lives, from domestic abuse to alcoholism to broken families. And, and these people are ripe for manipulation by these demagogues who promise a world of magic, angels, miracles, who, who say that God will walk with them and God will protect them. And, and now that we've finished and stood by as the working class in this country has been abandoned, and betrayed, we're seeing an assault on the middle class. Anything that can be put on software can be outsourced and is being outsourced. So that, you know, we are giving rise to an oligarchic state where the we already live in a country where the top 1% control more wealth than the bottom 90% combined. That figure alone should terrify those who care about a democracy. And you can't sustain a democratic society with those kinds of injustices and inequities. That's not a new idea. It goes all the way back to Plutarch and Thucydides when they wrote about what was what kept Athenian democracy viable. Uh, and this rise of this mass political movement wrapped in the American flag and clutching the Christian cross is what we get for that deep mutation. And I think ultimately, if we want to blunt this movement, we as a society have to step up and reincorporate or reenfranchise these people have been pushed aside back into the fold and blunt the rise of the corporate state. Otherwise, our democracy is doomed. The book is American Fascists, The Christian Right, 
and the war in America. Our guest has been author Chris Hedges, former Mideast Bureau Chief for the New York Times. He teaches at the Program for American Studies at Princeton University. Chris Hedges, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you for having me. And you never ask questions when God's on your side. Many a long hour I've thought on this That Jesus Christ was betrayed by a kiss But I can't think for you You will have to decide Whether Judas Iscariot had God on his side 